Okay, we're back on the EM Stud podcast this month, trying to find out how do you match in emergency medicine. That's our goal here at EM Stud is to position you for greatness so that you can match in emergency medicine. And today, we've got a report. Yes, that's right. The match just happened. In case you haven't noticed, in case you had lived inside of a cave or had your head in the ground, the match happened. So I've got one of my good friends today, a person that's really studied this a lot, does some research, and really been one of the leaders for a lot of the clerkship directors in emergency medicine, Mike Van Meter. Dr. Van Meter, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Dr. Weeders, and I am excited to be with you. Man, that's cool. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule. Uh, let's let's learn a little bit more about you here, Mike. Tell us more about yourself. Now, you're a clerkship director out in Houston. Is that right? That's right. At University of Texas at Houston and um, been here for quite a well, I guess in the grand scheme of things, not that long, but um, for the last six years and uh, really enjoy it. Love living in Houston, love working at our at our program and working with the students that we've got. Um, really fortunate to be uh, to be here. So. Tell me about your uh, tell me about your, your your journey to emergency medicine. I mean, do you have a, a story you want to share with our listeners? Because some of the 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 underclassmen might be saying, you know, I'm not sure emergency medicine's for me or not. What was your uh, what was your backstory? Yeah, well, so I I actually have uh, I, I'm one of the second gen, I guess, if you will, EM physicians. My dad's actually an emergency physician, and so that was a sort of a mixed blessing. Um, in as much as I knew I wanted to practice medicine, but I felt like I didn't want to end up too close to the family tree. So I, I really kicked away from it for a while and went to med school, enjoyed a bit of every rotation. You hear that a lot, and that was very true of me. I, uh, I enjoyed rotating on every service and really had my, eye, my eyes set on surgery and a subspecialty of surgery. And it wasn't until about six months or so after I'd finished my surgery rotation and gone through the rest of them that I realized, you know, I, I enjoy it, but I, there's just something I enjoy a bit of everything, and, and I feel like I would be missing out a little bit. Um, and it's nothing against any one particular specialty, but, but for me, it was, uh, that I enjoyed the acute practice, the acute care that, 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 um, is a party to emergency medicine is really the bread and butter of emergency medicine. And so, um, I was one of those late bloomers that, that really, you know, comes into the office and is like, help me. Emergency medicine is, is what I want to <laughs> do in, in August, um, of my fourth year. And, uh, thankfully I had a lot of, of, uh, wonderful support. And, and guidance at the time, um, and ended up, uh, you know, pursuing it from there, and, and that was that was sort of how I kind of sideways stepped into it. That's really cool, man. Awesome. So, so Mike, give us the headlines, okay? The match happened. Uh, let's take a general look at this and how things turned out. What would the headlines be from your perspective? Give us a big overview. Sure. Well, so I think, you know, from the, the NRMP's perspective, the National Resident Matching Program, um, their perspective, it was the largest match on record, and they've been doing this for decades now. And so emergency medicine, how do we fit into that? We, we actually also had the largest match on record for us. So we've been keeping pace with that growth which is great for the specialty and very much needed. I think, you know, when you look out there, all of the ECs across the country are not staffed by EM physicians, and that's the ultimate goal. Um, so we matched over, let's see, I think it was 1,895 students into 174 residencies, and that's, you know, like I said, the, the maximum that we've had um, since we started this game. And that's a big number. Yeah, the, the growth really has been over 200 spots since 2012. So to give you an idea, um, which is great news for applicants. There are more spots out there for the taking. 
Um, the other thing I would I mention just out where do we fit into the grand, you know, the the big picture, would be um, we're actually one of the eight, one of the big eight. I, I like to call them um, the specialties with over a thousand spots in the match, and that would go from biggest to smallest: internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, emergency medicine. So we're fourth, then psych, surgery, OB/GYN, and anesthesia. Um, so that gives you just a little bit of a sense of scale where we are in the grand scheme of things. Um, I think really impressive that despite this growth, emergency medicine has had over a 99.5% fill rate since 2012. So that was a magic year 2012 for us where we actually had a 100% fill rate and this year was 99.9. There was only one spot in the match that didn't go filled this year. So that My was goodness. that's really huge, and in, out of those big eight specialties, we're actually just not, not you know not by a big margin, but we're just king of the hill. We're the uh, the highest fill rate out of everybody. Golly, man, that is a, that's pretty amazing where we've come from and where we're going. That's impressive. Absolutely. So I mean, does that mean we're like the biggest, the baddest, the most competitive specialty out there? Is that the take home message? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I love to say yes. Um, and it's somewhat true, but not entirely. And I think, you know, to give you guys a little perspective, um, over the last couple of years, I've heard more and more of my colleagues talking about, oh, we're, we're you know, trying to give us a comp to orthopedics and sort of um, talk about us in the same vein. And I'd say that's not quite true. Um, and, and, you know, their metrics are significantly higher than ours with regard to step score and grades and, and the like. Um, and so a little bit apples to oranges, though, because ortho, we're actually about three times the size of ortho as a specialty. So that gives you a sense of scale. And I think that there is there is sort of a supply and demand that comes into play. Um, when you go back to the big eight, though, um, fill rate isn't really the entire story. Um, so we are just edging out the rest of them with regard to fill rate, um, us being 99.9% this year. Uh, but another thing is, what do you fill with? And so for better or for worse, the, the NRMP will actually classify applicants as either U.S. seniors. And by U.S. seniors, we're talking about United States allopathic graduating resident or graduating medical students, I should say. So the U.S. senior is that. And then everybody else, they sort of lump sum into an independent applicant. And sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the room is that U.S. seniors are in large part viewed to be more competitive slash desirable than your you know run-of-the-mill independent applicant and is that fair i think you'll you'll find you know and i'm sure that the same is true for you i have mentors and colleagues and trainees that i've worked with over the years that are independent applicants and by that we mean osteopathic graduate um you know international medical graduate and and several other smaller categories um, that are truly amazing, outstanding, inspirational physicians. And so this is definitely not a slight towards them. It's just sort of the unfortunate reality that we work in. So is it true? Yes. Is it unfair? Probably um, for the vast majority of applicants out there it would be my disclaimer. But nonetheless, um, the numbers do back that up. And so, you know, if you look at the numbers, um, U.S. seniors will match to their first choice position 48.8% of the time. And then almost 20, 20% less than that will be true for independent applicants who match to their first choice about 28.6% of the time. And then just to, to sort of show that divide a little bit more, uh, with a little bit more clarity, uh, you end up with 5.5% of U.S. seniors not matching. So all graduating allopathic students 
um, have, you know, there's about 94.5% of them will, will match. And then if you look at the independent applicants, only um, about, well, let's see, 41.7% went unmatched. So that's a significant difference there. Um, mm. So just bear with me here. I'm just trying to use this as a surrogate to, to get to what we fill with. And so emergency medicine, if we look at that compared to the other seven of the big eight specialties out there, we again sort of edge things out there and we're number one with 78.4% um, U.S. seniors populating our ranks um, this past year. And so when you look at the rest of the list, we have surgery and OBGYN that are pretty close to us. OBGYN 77.5% and then surgery 76.4%. And then it sort of drops about 10% down to anesthesia, peds, um, psych drops a little further than internal medicine and family drop down to below 50%. Um, filled by U.S. seniors. So that gives you a little bit of a different sense there um, of our mm. competitiveness. And I think that, you know, we've been on the rise now for the last decade or so. And I think that uh, that this sort of points in the direction of us being out of the big eight, one of the most competitive specialties. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Mike. And so I'm going to ask our listeners to go on to the CDM curriculum website, which is the home launching pad of this podcast and, and and Mike's gone ahead and gotten these figures and tables to kind of follow through so absolutely yeah and I, I would say with regard to the the figures and tables all of this stuff is public um, open access it's on NRMP the website and you just have to look at the match data um, just a quick caveat to all of this when you go on there what you're what you're going to see is they've got Data that's most of this data is actually about two years old. It's from a charting charting outcomes in the match um, from 2014, and they survey applicants, they survey program directors, and then they they compile a lot of these metrics um, with regard to average step score, for example. And you can get all of that from 2014. And the good news is for those applicants that are looking at 2017, 2016 in September, so not too far off you're going to start to see um, the NRMP publish the same data. So it's about on a two-year cycle for some of this stuff that you get um, the major update, and it's going to happen in, in September of this year. Yeah, and we'll probably have to put out a, another edition maybe and get you back on the show, Mike, to give us an update <laughs> on what's changed and kind of a primer as we get positioned for the match of 2017. So, all right, we're, we're competitive, all right, but we're not out of reach for a student that might be, let's say, middle of the road. We, we, you know, what does that mean? We'll have to figure that out. But is it, is it fair to sum that up that way? No, I, I think absolutely. I think that's spot on. Um, of course, above average of any of the metrics that are listed, and you can look at EM1, table EM1 for charting outcomes in the match 2014, will give you sort of an average, you know, what does the average EM applicant look like with regard to their step score, with regard to their... Uh, their average grades, their average um, extracurricular experiences with regard to volunteering, work, uh, research effort, presentations, that and the like. So you can go there and, and get a sense, you know, where do I stack out um, on paper uh, from the first three years of my medical school uh, education? And, 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 and if you're, if you're quote-unquote average, I think that you have a very, very good shot at matching into um, in emergency medicine residency, as long as you kind of go about it smartly. Um, and then the, the alternative there is if you're an independent applicant, we were talking about U.S. seniors there. If you're an independent applicant, it, it probably means that you should be above average if you're going to have a good chance. And again, for everybody, it doesn't mean that that you're going to 
not match into emergency medicine if you're quote unquote slightly below average. It's not really the kiss of death that we all thought it was um, or that maybe some advisors might tell you. Yeah, Mike, I'm looking at this table one and I think there's some interesting things that I point out myself is that the, the average USMLE step one score for matching in emergency medicine was a 230 and step two is a 243. But, but if you look across at some other specialties, I mean, uh, you know, general surgery was a 232, 245, IMED, you know, 231, 243. Um, so, I mean, it, it's really, step scores are not as important to a lot of the emergency medicine applicants as, as I think maybe in other specialties. Is that fair? Yeah, so I, I think that is fair to a point, but but the importance I don't want to diminish too much because what, uh, what it kind of boils down to is a filter. And in emergency medicine, what we've seen is it's sort of an explosion of applications over the last, you know, three, four, five years. Um, and so, you know, the average program, this is again, 2014 data. So you can imagine it's, it's only more so now, but in 2014, the average program would see 830 applicants. And we unfortunately just don't have enough eyes to look at all of those applications. So in order to sort of call things a little bit, um, programs need a filter and the easiest lowest lying fruit there is really going to be your step one score. And so what that means, and we, we actually went back and surveyed um, emergency medicine programs and the NRP have, has done the same thing. So in, I believe 2013, 54% of program directors reported using a target score on your step one as an automatic filter, meaning unfortunately you were boiled down to your step one score. And so if you got that that metric in place. If you met that target score, you were going to be looked at as a full applicant. And if you didn't, that's it. They're not going to look past it. And so that was 54% of program directors in 2013. We don't know what the target score was. And so it could have been well below average. And I think for a good number of people, it was. Um, but then if you look in 2014, that target score jumped to, or that, that percentage that reported using a target score jumped to 69%. So that's up, uh, you know, 15% in just one year. And so I imagine, you know, it might even be more so that's, you know, again, 2014. So now we might see more people using it. And that's just, again, to filter through the insane number of applications that residency leadership has to has to review. So Mike, you're talking about a, a filter for the step score. So I mean, what if I go below that? What, what do you think? Yeah. So, and I think, you know, I don't want to, it, it's certainly not the kiss of death. It's not doomsday for somebody that has, let's say a 220 or a 210. To be honest, if you've passed step one, I think there's a reassuring chart in there for you um, from charting outcomes in the match 2014. That's also, again, NRMP data. And you can find this online so you don't have to, you know, just believe me. Um, it's the EM3 uh, chart. And so looking at that, Almost, the majority of people that actually passed step one, and that includes getting between a 181 and a 190, there were 11 applicants in, that fell into that 181 to 190 on their step one. The majority of those applicants, nine versus two, actually matched into emergency medicine. So I think, you know, and that, it goes all the way through. You can actually, you know, look at, at that chart and see that, that students that got a, you know, between a 191 and a 200, a 201 and a 210 and so on, do the majority of them do match into emergency medicine. So while we do use it as a filter, I think don't get too discouraged if you fell, you know, fell down on that and it was a bad day for you. Um, I think it's something that you can still match into the specialty. You're going to have to be creative and, and crafty and, 
and hustle and find a, a, a really good strategic way to apply. But I think you can get there. Yeah, I think it's possible, but I'd, I'd still kind of be cautious and say that someone might be at risk for not matching when they're in that range below what we're talking about for some of these uh, inviting filters that we think are becoming more common. No, so great I, synopsis. Yeah, no, sorry to interrupt. I, I completely agree with you. I, I tend to be a glass half full, so I don't want to be too positive on that front. I would advise you know, a student sitting in front of me talking to me about a 194 as being someone that is going to be very much at risk for not matching. Um, and, and it's not that they can't, and I wouldn't dissuade them from doing uh, full court press to get into emergency medicine, but I would, uh, I would consider whether or not they need a backup or just the, you know, the, the worry in the back of their head that maybe this isn't going to work out come match day. No, I think that's well said, and I can't add anything to it. So, Mike, this might lead us to think that we just need to apply to more programs, maybe, and that that would solve our problems. What's what's the deal on application numbers? So it's interesting. I, I think we've definitely seen you know more applicants coming to emergency medicine, but at the same time, and maybe the bigger reason for this surge in applications has been a you know a bit of a frenzy. So I know at my my particular school we had. Um, is more more students go unmatched into emergency medicine than ever before, and I think it was 2012 or 2013, and so that created a bit of a panic with our with our student affairs, and 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 rightfully so, and with us. And so the the response was, well, you know, apply to more programs. And so each applicant is applying to far more programs than they used to. And so I, I think that you know what we've seen is that that doesn't necessarily, and I don't know if I'm jumping into a further question here, but that doesn't necessarily, the answer isn't necessarily more. Um, and so... Yeah, I mean, it would make sense that you say, well, just just apply to more programs. That's going to fix the problem, but that's, you're telling me that's not going to fix it. Yeah, and, and you know, what, what, there is a chart. Let me just uh, go ahead here a little bit. There's a chart that actually um, demonstrates that, that that might be a bit of a flawed response. And so there are... there. This is NRMP-reported data from a student survey um, that, that was from 2014. And the average applicant then in emergency medicine that matched, so this is very key, they, they matched into emergency medicine, applied to 39 programs. And the student, average student that didn't match applied to 60. And so they applied to over, tw- you know, over 20 more programs but still didn't end up with you know, that, that end game of matching. And I think that that is... Um, fairly telling, and you and you also go take that one step further. The same graph will show you that about 19, or I think 17 interviews were offered to the the matched applicant, versus only seven were offered to the unmatched applicant. So that just goes to show you, you know, all the way down the line from applying to a huge number of programs, you still end up with a significantly fewer number of interview offers, and I think that's that's something that ideally could be identified by um, you know, a trained advisor, someone who's used to the overall system and how things play out, um, somebody that can give you an objective look at, at what your overall competitiveness is for the specialty. We'll give you a sense of that, hopefully before you go into this, so you can, you can go in eyes wide open. Gotcha. So I'm going to have to pin you down here, Mike. I mean, you are a trusted advisor, okay? I mean, you're a veteran. You've been doing this a while. I mean, I look to you for a lot of stuff. So if I'm going to pin you down, let's say I'm a good I'm average, you know, middle of the road kind of a fella. 
defined under the metrics that we've discussed here. I don't have any red flags. I don't know bodies stacked up in my closets, all right? I'm not getting out of jail free. Um, how many programs should I apply to? Yeah, and this is a hot topic and a very, I would say, heated discussion has taken place on a number of occasions at national conferences. And so you'll, you'll get a lot of different opinions on this, and I just want to couch it in that way. Um, that said, I'm happy to be pinned down. I think that's, you know, you got to have something that's tangible. Uh, so for me, I think 40 is definitely too many. Um, 30 for me is, is for the average, quote unquote, average applicant with a step score that's right there in the middle of things, sort of that, you know, I high passed most things. Maybe I honored one or two things. Maybe I have one or two passes in on my transcript. Um, and I've, you know, got 2.1 research experiences slash volunteer activities slash work, whatever. If you're that person, I think 30 is a, is a reasonably safe number. And I will also put a little asterisk on this and that it can't be, you know, 30 programs that are in a very geographically, you know, attractive location or have reputations or, you know, sort of perceived competitiveness that is through the roof. Because I can, I can give you, a, you know, sort of a for instance, the average EM program out there needs to, to interview 6.6 applicants to fill one of their residency spots. All right. And that's that's been relatively static over the last couple of years. It's average. Now, there are programs out there that need to interview two applicants to fill their residency spot. And maybe there are programs out there that need to interview 12 to fill their residency spot. I can imagine if you applied to all of the program, well, 30 programs that needed, you know, only two people interviewed to fill that one spot, you're all going to be ridiculously competitive you're all going to look the same or roughly the same on paper. There's going to be something special about each of you. And it's going to be a little bit of a roll of the dice, whether or not you get in. You know, if they have 10 spots, they only need to interview 20 people. And let's say they interviewed 50, you're all going to be great. Hard to say that you're going to get one of those 10 spots with, with any sort of assurance. So, so keep that in mind. I think you have to apply to a spectrum, and I think that that's something that you sit down with a number of people. You start to get a, a general sense of where is competitive or who is competitive, uh, more so than some other place. Um, and and I usually tell my my uh, advisees that they should be applying to roughly ten that are a real reach for them at most, ten that where they feel like they're in the mix and they're in the fray, and then maybe ten quote unquote fallbacks. And the other th sort of uh, I guess disclaimer here is that. When I say fallback, there I, there are almost no bad programs in emergency medicine, and I think that you know every applicant really needs to take you know advice with a grain of salt and form their own opinions. And there are definitely programs out there that are going to be a good fit for you, and not necessarily you know the true will be the you know the same for somebody else. So fallback does not mean bad. Fallback means maybe they're not reputably insanely competitive or they're not in that amazing I have a beach and a mountain and you know perfect weather um, 24 7 365 uh, and so if that's not true of that program it might be that they're they're going to be somebody that's going to be more open to you as an applicant and you might be a great fit and be thrilled that you ended up in that that residency so keep those, those things in mind as you go forward yeah so I'm hearing that there's maybe not a perfect number but it's a combination of the location of the program. Is it in a sexy city? Is it a historically respected program that might be viewed by a lot of people to be one of the more competitive places? Is it a big name that would make mom proud? You know, there's some names out there. And so, you know, maybe those are the competitive places. 
but again, you're going to have to talk with an advisor and, and you talk to somebody that's been doing this a while. They can help identify those things. And I think we're, we're talking with you know some other people about these similar questions. And you're going to hear this sprinkled through a lot of different EM Stud podcasts on this question of defining what is a competitive program and what is not. It's very complicated and uh, a lot of angles to attack. So that's a good summary. Uh, Mike, are there any other insights we can get from the match data out there? What else are you ringing out of this? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one of the things that I found very interesting is the extracurricular side of the spectrum. And I think that I, you know, I've had a number of students over the years that have tried to, you know, for lack of a better word, compensate for a mediocre or a poor academic performance by being heavily involved in either leadership activities or research projects or presentations, what have you, volunteering. Um, and what I find is that that usually actually takes them even further away from what is just foundational to us as EM educators and residency leadership, which is the clinician, right? EM is a clinical specialty. And what we want to see in our applicants is first and foremost that you're going to be a great clinician, a great physician. Somebody that's going to take excellent care of patients is going to be able to manage the chaos that we work within, um, a good communicator, et cetera, and someone that's committed to that going forward. So I would say, and, and this, this also plays out, right? If you look at the spectrum, and there's another chart that we'll throw up on the website so you can, you can take a look at this from the NRMP. Uh, if you look at the actual spectrum, being overly, you know, I guess, represented on your application as a, somebody who volunteers at everything, who is, you know, leading at everything, that's great, but never to the detriment of you as a clinician, you as, as, as you know, the, sort of the academic track record, if you will, your grades, your clerkships, your, unfortunately, we know that a step score does not mean you're, you know, an amazing step score is going to be a great clinician. They don't, they don't really equate, but that's going to be important to get the door open for you. Um, so you don't want to you don't want to over volunteer. And what we found is that the same number of students, um, regardless of if they have thirty amazing extracurricular you know things on their CV, if they're a mediocre student, they're going to be in the same position as that mediocre student with two, you know, extracurricular things on their CV. The caveat there again, there's always a caveat, I guess, is that the, you know those students will. Um, will likely the ones that are very involved will likely be able to network and people will get to know you as an individual and they might be willing to look past a subpar academic exposure or academic track record for you and I've seen that happen as well so you want to I, I think the general advice is don't necessarily overcommit outside of why you're here in the first place which is to be learning the actual stuff that's going to make you a great physician right so be a great med student gotcha. first and then as time allows get your 2.1 experiences in around the edges. Couldn't um, agree with that more, Mike. I mean, I think you're bringing up a concept of the the unbalanced student, and we really want to see a balanced approach where there's definitely some strong metrics. First and foremost, you have to safely care for patients. Yes, we care about a few extracurricular activities. Research has its place. But again, if you're just imbalanced in one of those areas that, and don't have the other metrics that you would uh, point out, then that, that kind of makes for a, just an unbalanced applicant. Now, I think one of the things we've talked about uh, just recently, we had Sarah Ronan on the show with the SLOW Task Force. What about the SLOW? What do you think about that? Yeah, so the SLOW is, is that 
I, I would call it the X factor that really starts to make emergency medicine different from other application processes, processes, I should say. Um, and that's where I think, you know, we say we're, we're just up there at the heap of all of those big specialties. I think the, the slow starts to separate us a bit more from that pack. Um, and the reason for it is it is, I mean, it is cited by program directors in the, the, the survey 2014 and I think the one before that to be the most important and most heavily weighted part of your application. So it can't go, you know, you can't understate the importance of it. And the fact is, unfortunately, it's usually, it, it's when you find out whether or not it helped or hurt you, it's too late in the season to do anything different um, or to make any, take any corrective action. So it's got a, it's a double-edged sword. I think it's, it's something that, that will absolutely um, take a, an application that isn't necessarily all that impressive. And if you really focus on doing well on your, your away rotations, really stay true to who you are. Try to be yourself and the best version of yourself when you, when you go and you rotate at home in a way. I think that you can take a, an application that's kind of, oh, well, I don't know what to make of you and, and be represented on your slow as, no, this, this guy or girl is truly special and you want to look at them as an applicant. Um, conversely, it can also, it can sync a application that's just so-so. Um, so you want to, you know, and, and, and it can sync an application that's great as well if, if you really kind of flounder on your, on your EM rotations. So keep that in mind. It's, it's hugely important. I think it does start to really make um, emergency medicine different and in some ways more competitive because you can get away with a fair amount and be pretty good on paper. But once you get to your EM rotations, you've, you've got to be legit. Man, I couldn't dovetail that more. I've seen the slow save someone's bacon who is maybe a borderline applicant, and I've also seen it burn people who maybe had all the metrics and people are kind of shocked that they didn't match. So, yeah, if you want to learn more about the slow, you definitely need to check out the four-letter word series, that's S-L-O-E, that we had in an April edition of the EM Stud podcast. So check that out for more information. Mike, uh, final question before we let you go here. Gosh, what do you do? God forbid, okay, this is like worst-case scenario. I hate to even talk about it because it just makes me anxious. What do I do if I don't match? Yeah, and it, it makes me anxious too. <laughs> every every year, you know, there's always somebody um, that you're either you, – you were kind of prepping ahead of time because you identified early risk factors for them. Um, but I am never one to turn somebody away from what their passion is, so I'm, I'm happy to support and really do my best to support everyone um, in choosing this as a specialty. Uh, but that said, there's a, there's a chance. And so if I have somebody sitting in front of me that hasn't matched, I, I think it does, again, hark, harks back to you being an excellent clinician. And maybe there's a question in there somewhere about how you're going to be as a clinician in my residency program. Or at least that's, the, you know, that's what the residency leadership looking at your application has come up with. Excuse me. And so what I would, what I would say there is... We could start with looking at what people do do. And if you look at the NRMP applicant survey results from 2015, so this is only one year out, uh, most will actually end up choosing to try to do a clinical year. And that's actually where my bias lies. I think you should go back. You should look for a either prelim. And this is, this is also after you, know, you deciding that EM is going to be, it's EM or bust. You want to get back in and you want to try it again the next year. I think the, the, the go-to plan for me would be to go back and do either a surgery, an internal medicine prelim, maybe a transitional year, 
and try to find one where you can actually rotate in an emergency department that is attached to an EM residency training program and preemptively seek out that program match to that prelim or, or transitional year rotate early so that you can go and meet with that program leadership and say hey I'd really like to try I know this is not really um, the usual course of things but could I get a slow from you could you evaluate me as though I would I'm an EM applicant because that's what I ultimately want to do and set yourself up from that perspective and then I would also recommend being the best intern in that program for that program director so that they can write a letter that says you know what I am trying to convince them to go into surgery I'm trying to convince them to go into internal medicine because they are amazing and I want them in my program they can write you that kind of a letter to say this is somebody you need to take a close look at and I'm happy to support them for residency training in my program and yours and so I think without that you see people go off and, and try to improve their application by either doing let's say a master's in public health or doing a year of research or a number of other non-clinical options and I think that those those don't get at the meat of what we want in our applicants which is that physician that consummate clinician and so if you if you do those things be I, I would be wary of those as, as choices um, I think I would I would recommend doing a clinical year yeah I couldn't agree more Mike I think that's the advice that we're we're giving uh, the you know unfortunate student who, who just didn't match and uh, still wants to pursue emergency medicine. I think you've got to stay with patients, and I think that a another internship where you, like you said, have really defined yourself as amazing and proven maybe some other evaluators wrong or maybe some test scores wrong is going to be your strongest approach. I know other specialties might have some unique research-heavy or other uh, processes to kind of get people through, but I'm not aware of one in emergency medicine that's, that's worked well for folks. And this is a tough call. Mike, we really appreciate you coming by EM Stud and laying down, I mean, some really good data here. I mean, you were really talking nerdy to us for a second there, and I like it. So thank you again for bringing this great information. Mike, if, if people want to get a hold of you, we know you live in Houston, but what's your Twitter handle and what's your email? How do we get a hold of you if we have more questions? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it was a pleasure being on today. Uh, my, my Twitter handle is at M-V-M-U-T-H. So it's just my initials and U-T-H. And my email account is a, is a mouthful. It's michael.w.vanmeter. It's all lowercase, no spaces at uth.tmc.edu. So I'm happy to hear from people, uh, and I wish everyone the best of luck going on to 2017. Perfect. Well, that's a wrap for the next edition of the EM Stud Podcast. Again, if you want to learn more about our organization, go ahead and log in to www.cdemcurriculum.com. That's clerkship directors in emergencymedicine.com. On behalf of my colleague, Dr. Nate, this is your EMED coach, Dr. Scott Weeder, signing off for another edition of the EM Stud Podcast. I want